Beller family, good morning as we gather on this Sunday. Again, it is, it is Pentecost Sunday as we gather with churches around the world, celebrating the birth of the church in which God poured out His Holy Spirit to indwell not only them but us. We put our faith and trust in Jesus. In that moment, the church is born in our lives and in our hearts, and we are sent out with a purpose on a mission to be witnesses to His love, not only here but everywhere and with everyone. And as we gather here, we also conclude a sermon series. If you've been with us the last few weeks, over a month, we have been sitting with some tough questions. And if you haven't been with us, a few months ago, I invited you as a congregation to submit questions that you have. I asked, okay, if you could ask God any question, what would you ask? And the questions that you wrote down, hundreds of them that came in, as we went through and we saw that none of them were easy. None of them were superficial. None of them were really demanding a quick, easy answer, but really they demanded because of the seriousness of the nature, because of the, the emotional weight that they carried, it almost demands us to sit with these difficult questions for a bit. And what we've done in each of these weeks is we've taken a look at an encounter that Christ had with others and how He sat with and how they sat with some of the most difficult questions that we can ask. If you were with us Two weeks ago, I interviewed Jay and Catherine Wolf, and we asked the question, God, why did you allow this to happen to me? And today, we're going to ask a question that's, in a sense, the flip of that. God, why haven't you allowed this to happen? And I think in my own life of the dreams that I have, the longings that I have, the hopes that I have, things that are good that God promises in Scripture. I think of all these things I could spend all day telling you story after story of things that I've prayed for that I've yet to experience, things that I've longed for, that I've dreamed about, that I've invited others to pray about with me, that I've yet to experience. And I imagine if every single one, every single one of us had a chance to get up on this microphone to share our unfulfilled hopes, our dreams yet to be realized and experienced, we'd be here for months. So what do we do? with that? What do we do with our unfulfilled hopes? What do we do when we ask God, God, why won't you give me this thing? And He doesn't give it to us. Well, sometimes it's all about perspective. Take a look at this. How come I can't use the sharp knives? Well, your mother and I think you need to be a little bit older before you handle that responsibility. How come I can't have a pet rattlesnake? Because some snakes have dangerous venom. We don't want you to get hurt. Because you will break both your legs. No. Dad, how come I can't take a bath in the washing machine? Whoa, 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 whoa. In no way is that safe. Do not do that. Dad, how come I can't make toast in the bathtub? Because you will get electrocuted and die. You don't have a toaster in there, do you? God, how come you won't give this to me? I'm not asking for the world. I'm doing this for you. I don't understand why you're holding back. How come it has to be so hard? Dad, how come 
Dad, can I borrow the car to go get a pizza? What? No. How come? Because you'll die. When will this boy get it? You know, so often in life it is about a change of perspective, but we have to be very careful though. Though it is true that sometimes our perspective needs to be changed, we can never allow that to be the quick, easy answer. And in fact, often as Christians, we, we take the easy route. We don't sit with somebody in the midst of their unfulfilled hopes and unfulfilled dreams, and we give the quick, easy answer. We just say, just change your perspective, as if telling somebody to change their perspective will actually change their perspective. In fact, we see Jesus, He doesn't do this apart from His presence. And so what we're going to do today is I'm not going to tell you to change your perspective, but I want to invite you to encounter a God that sits with you in the midst of your unfulfilled hopes, who is present with you in the midst of your unfulfilled dreams and the things that you long for that you have yet to experience. And as you encounter Him, He gives you a perspective that you can never give or never get on your own. So if you have your Bibles, why don't you open those up? In fact, if you are here for the first time, we have in the pews in front of you, and if you're in the front row, uh, right in a cubby right behind your leg, it's that red book. This is our pew Bible. If you're online or even joining us on a mobile device, we're in the new revised standard version. We're turning to John chapter 20, verse 19. So again, if you have your pew Bible, that red book in front of you, it's on page 883. Quick little reference there to get to that passage, one of the most famous passages. Don't I say that every week, though? <laughs> one of the most famous passages in Scripture. I mean, they all are in many ways. Absolutely history-changing, history-making. Right after this passage, we won't read this, but John says, and Jesus did many other things, many other signs, many other, un- other wonders, and He chooses to allow this, this story, to be the climax of the ministry of Jesus. And we'll see very quickly that there's one who longed for something, who asked the question, God, why haven't you allowed this to happen to me? And we'll see how Jesus sits with that and invites us to do the same. John 20, verse 19. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, One of the twelve was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails in my hand and in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come 
to believe. This, my friends, is God's Word. Okay, so what's happening here? What's going on here? This is right after Jesus' death, his burial, his resurrection. The followers of Jesus, for fear of being captured, for fear of being crucified along with Jesus, waiting for the promises that even Jesus gave, that he would restore his kingdom here on earth, that he would set things right. They had all these things, all these teachings of Jesus, all these promises, and they were waiting. They were wondering. I imagine filled with tremendous fear. That's what John says. All the gospel accounts that they were filled with tremendous fear, and all of a sudden, Jesus shows up, and he breaks into their reality. And yet he does it in a way that's very very flashy, very noticeable. I mean, he shows up, immediately they know it's him. And there's times in life where Jesus will break into our reality and we know without a doubt that it's him, that he upends everything, that he is so disruptive perhaps in how he reveals himself to you in a Christian relationship. As you read Scripture in a time of prayer, perhaps some of you have had experiences in your life where you say, that was absolutely Jesus revealing Himself to me, breaking into the reality of my life. And that's what He does. But there's also times where He breaks into the reality of your life in subtle ways, in ways that aren't as flashy, in ways that perhaps you can overlook Him. In fact, a year ago, we went through a 10-week series where Luke actually tells us that Jesus meets two disciples on the road from Jerusalem to Emmaus. He breaks into their reality, yet they don't even notice that it's Him. And there's times where Jesus chooses to break into your reality in the midst of your longing, in the midst of your hopes, in the midst of your dreams, and you completely miss Him. You can be reading Scripture and miss the fact that Jesus wants to break into the reality of your life. You can enjoy a sunset and miss the fact that Scripture says that all of creation declares the glory of God that points to who He is. The book of Romans says that we are without excuse, that all of creation points us and points our hearts to an invisible God. And Jesus reveals Himself in such a powerful way to these disciples. And He says this, peace be with you. He doesn't say, hey, you should have had more faith. He doesn't say, hey, what was my teaching on the Sermon on the Mount? He doesn't say, remember that point that I made on the side of the the Sea of Capernaum? What was that thing that I said? He could have done a lot of things. He could have exposed their doubt. He could have exposed their fear. He could have exposed their lack of faith. But he says, peace be with you. And we use the word peace a lot in this world. And we've totally missed the historical context of the weight of that word, the word shalom, this idea that all is right in the world. This idea of shalom is life as God intends, that we are whole in our relationship not only with God and with each other and with creation, but also with ourselves. And Jesus shows up and He says, all that God intends is with you. He doesn't say have peace. He doesn't say get peace. He says peace is with you. And the fullness of God's shalom actually has a name, and it's Jesus. You see, Jesus is the Prince of Peace, and not only does He break into the reality of our lives, but He is the fullness of shalom, the fullness of peace, the fullness of God's kingdom here on earth. And He says, I am with you. Peace be with you. And He can say that because what does He do next? He shows Him the disciples, 
the scars on his hands, the scar on his side. And he can say that all is right. He can say that all is as God intends. He can say that peace is with you because God has made peace to us through Jesus Christ because of those wounds. He took the penalty that we deserve, the brokenness that we deserve, the the punishment that we deserve, the wrath that we deserve. He doesn't stroll into the room cleaned up, nice and pretty, without wounds. He walks in the wounded Savior, the wounded Lord, the wounded healer. And even though he breaks in the reality of their lives, he, he shows them a different way to even see himself. But then he goes beyond that. He says, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And we see that the truth of who God is in this eternal relationship of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit that has existed throughout all time. God the Father sent God the Son to us. He could have kept himself insular, focused on the the community of oneness that was God, but God sent out even himself as Jesus. It says in Scripture in Colossians that the fullness of God rests in Jesus. He's the image of of the invisible God. And so Jesus says to them, as the Father has sent me to you, so I am sending you. And then he breathes on them. Receive the Holy Spirit. And it harkens back images of Genesis 2, the creation account where God reaches into the earth and breathes life into us. It brings up images of Ezekiel where God breathes life into a valley of dry bones. You see, Jesus has come to revive us, to breathe life into us. And He sends us out not on our own power, but by His power. The same power of the Spirit that fueled Him fuels us. Even before this passage that we read together, in verse 17, long before they were locked in those doors and Jesus arrived, There's another story. If you have those Bibles, open them back up. If not, listen to this. This is simply verse 17 of John 20. It says this, Jesus is speaking to Mary after she sees her Savior, her resurrected Lord, filled with joy, the climax of her life. Jesus said to her, do not hold on to me. In the Greek, it literally says, do not cling to me. Because I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and your God. And when he says to Mary, do not cling on to me, when he shows up in the midst of that locked room to the disciples and he says, I am sending you, go, it reminds us that not only are we saved, but we are also sent out on a mission. It reminds us that Jesus isn't just to invite into our life, into our agenda, into our goals, into our dreams so that He can fulfill them. But rather, we find that Jesus, when we encounter Him, He invites us into His agenda. He invites us into His dreams. He invites us into His longings for His kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. He invites us into that. He wants there to be justice on earth, for there to be peace on earth, for there to be reconciliation, revival and renewal. He wants all of that. And He invites us in the midst of our brokenness to be a part of that thing, and He sends us out by the power of His Spirit. An amazing moment that these disciples have behind a locked door, yet there was one that missed out on the whole thing. It was Thomas. 
I always wonder, where was Thomas? I mean, an amazing moment. Jesus shows up. He breaks in the reality of their life. They see his scars. He says, peace be with you, I am here. And he sends them out on a mission after indwelling them with the Holy Spirit, and Thomas missed out on the whole thing. And I imagine there's many of you today that are much like Thomas, where you see God blessing other people, God moving in tremendous ways in other people, and perhaps you feel like a Thomas on the outside. They got the job. They got the promotion. They got the script purchased. They got the leading role. They got the good news from the doctor. They got the spouse. They got reconciled with their spouse. They got reconciled with their kids. They got kids. And yet some of you, like Thomas, are on the outside wanting that, longing for that. And I do think that it's so significant what it says here in verse 24, but Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hands in his side, I will not believe. In that moment, though Thomas longs for whatever it is that they experienced, he puts conditions on Jesus. He says, unless I experience X, fill in the blank, I won't believe. And I imagine that many people throughout the course of human history have done the same thing. Unless I see the flood waters rise and go down and God rescue all of us like He did Noah, I won't believe. Unless I see, like Abraham and Sarah, after years of infertility, unless I see that, I won't believe. Maybe some people might say, unless I have a burning bush experience like Moses did, unless I have that, I I won't believe. Unless I see the Red Sea parted, I won't believe. Unless I see Lazarus raised from the grave, I won't believe. Unless I see the hands with scars, unless I touch them, I won't believe. And many of us here today perhaps have something like that. Unless I experience this, God, unless you bless me with this, I'll never believe in you. I'll never fully trust you. I'll never truly love you. And what does Jesus do? A week later, oh, he's got to wait a whole week. And yet some of you might say, only a week? I would love to have just a week to have my dreams, my needs, my longings unfulfilled. Just a week? Are you kidding me? I've had this for 40 years. And yet every minute that we long, it feels like an eternity. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas this time was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said the same thing as he said before, peace be with you. He doesn't chastise Thomas. He doesn't condemn him. He says this, put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. And in every recreation of this moment, whether it's on a film, 
whether it's on a made-for-TV movie, whether it's a church play, there's always this moment, it's always visually demonstrated where Thomas will literally go and he puts his hand on the side of Jesus, literally puts his finger in the nail-scarred hands. And that's not what happens. You see, I always thought that when I read this passage and saw those things that he got what he was asking for. Unless I believe that I see these things, unless I experience X, then I won't believe. And I used to think that he would go and he actually got that thing so that he believed. But you know what happens? In the text here, John is very clear. An eyewitness to this moment, he doesn't say that Thomas puts his hand on his side. He doesn't say he touches his scar. In that moment, he simply responds. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. He was holding on to the conditions for belief. And when he encountered the resurrected Christ, in that moment, he dropped those conditions. He didn't need to put his hand on the side. He didn't need to put his finger in the scar. In that moment, he acknowledged who Jesus was. He says, my Lord my king, my everything, my God. What an amazing picture for us, for me, for you. We always know Thomas as the one who is the doubter, doubting Thomas. But what a believer. My Lord and my God. But it wasn't just then and there. That wasn't the end of it. He says in verse 29, have you believed because you have seen me? Have you believed just because of the thing that points to me? Have you believed just because of the burning bush or the parting of the Red Sea? Have you believed just because of this or because of that? But blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. And how did that happen? Jesus sent them out. He poured out His Spirit among all those that would call on the name of Jesus, and we are here today. We gather on Pentecost Sunday today with churches around the world. Even though Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father where now He reigns and He rules and He intercedes for us, He prays for us on our behalf at the right hand of the Father at the most powerful place in the universe. We don't get to see what the apostles saw, the eyewitnesses saw, but we get to believe because God used those people. And a chain reaction throughout the course of the last 2,000 years has caused us to encounter the risen Christ in so many ways. Yes, but what does that look like in life? What does that look like in 2015? I mean, how does that play out, you know, in the everyday? Of course, this is, you know, a nice biblical story, but what does that look like in the day-to-day, in this modern society? Well, we've got an interview, and we've got a couple that's allowing us to sit with them in the midst of their journey. Why don't you give a warm welcome to both R.O. and Mindy Smith. Now, a lot of you know their story, even by the the reaction, reminds us that you've been here serving this community for 11 years. But some of us don't know the fullness of your story. And, of course, that's, that's a big story, the fullness of it. But A huge part of it in this recent chapter of your life is an unfulfilled hope, an unfulfilled dream. Can you share with us what that's been? Absolutely. Our unfulfilled hope is to be parents. Um, We've been married 13 years, and we're on our fifth year of trying diligently to be parents. 
is something that we feel called to do. Um, on our journey of becoming parents, we um, tried to get pregnant, had a tough time doing that, uh, sought infertility treatments, diagnosed with uh, unexplained infertility, which is really irritating because there's nothing to do to fix it. And we did some treatments that didn't work. We're on a break and we actually got pregnant on our own without the treatments, which was kind of a miracle thing. And we actually were pregnant with twins and it was very exciting and really, um, yeah, just one of the greatest times, I think. And at 14 weeks, we actually lost them, which was quite devastating for both of us, obviously. So we decided to try another way of starting a family, which is adoption. And we've been through all the adoption sort of preparations and we were matched with a uh, birth mom who was carrying a boy and she lived in Long Beach and she chose us to be the parents of her child, which was amazing. And we had a relationship with her for about four months, went back and forth to Long Beach to kind of get to know her and support her. And a couple of days before the birth of the child, she decided to parent the baby, um, which we respected that choice, but it was obviously very difficult for us. Um, and then we were still ready to be parents. We had all this stuff. We, our hearts were open, so we got right back on the wagon and said, you know, we'd love to be matched again. And we were, just within a couple of weeks, matched with another birth mom who lived in North Carolina, and she was eight months pregnant, so it was a real quick turnaround. We went to North Carolina and got to be there for the birth of the child and um, stayed in the hospital with him for a couple of days, took him back to where we were staying in North Carolina for a couple of days and did a lot of bonding and attachment. We named him after RO. It was really an exciting time. But unfortunately, uh, there were some complications. We ended up going to court and this birth mother also decided to parent the child. And that was in February. So um, we've really had to process sort of what are our next steps. And we're now in a third relationship with um, a birth mother in the adoption journey. Um, but that's not necessarily like <laughs> the longing fulfilled. I mean, even if this does work out, which obviously we're very hopeful that it does, we don't want to place that type of pressure on our child to sort of fulfill this longing or um, be the end-all be-all of what we're hoping for. And so um, even as we sit with um, this sort of hope that's lingering out there and there might be a way that it will work out this time. It's still an unfinished story. Yeah, half a decade you've longed to be parents and you've gotten so close and even experienced uh, that very profoundly. And yet, as you said, God does not want you nor do you need or nor does this child need you to put what only Jesus can do for you onto them. And so in the midst of that, I mean, how do you sit with this? You know, we're catching you in a very public place, and I, I can't even imagine what it's like for half a decade, the privateness of your own life as individuals, but also as a couple. And Aro, how have you sat with this unfulfilled hope? Uh, uh, to be honest, I mean, like after the second failed adoption, I was like done with this. I was ready to come back here and pack up our stuff, get another dog, move to Costa Rica and call it a new life, you know, and that kind of deal. And um, I was just kind of done dealing with, you know, 18 to 25-year-old, you know, girls and that are wanting to place their kid. I was, just, I was just angry and pretty confused and not really sure what to do. And, um, and uh, after uh, a little bit of time, Mindy and I sat down. We were like, okay, like, 
let's put everything back on the table. It's infertility, surrogacy, stealing a kid, whatever it might be. Just, you know, let's put it all on the table. And so, um, uh, so we put it on the table and I was kind of like, well, this is going to be a quick decision. We're going to, we're, we're not, we're not called to be parents. I mean, we thought we were, we're not anymore. And, uh, there was just something that just wouldn't, I couldn't shake, you know, that kind of like rock in your shoe. You just can't get rid of it, you know? And, um, it was just, uh, I think it was God saying, no, I'm not, I'm not done telling your story yet. Um, and I don't know, it, you know, even though we have a, a third hope here, it, even if it doesn't, um, even, if it, even if it does or if it doesn't come to fruition, I mean, God's not done telling the story through us. And so we just have to be, uh, I guess, open to that. Um, it's frustrating and confusing, but, uh, it, you know, I don't know. It's just like we can't shake it. So I think for me to sit with it, the hardest part has been not having control um, and the waiting. I don't like to wait for anything. We have to, if we go to a restaurant, we have to wait for a table. I'm like, ugh, let's go somewhere else. Uh, so that's been tricky. But the, also the control issue is that I think most things in my life I have been able to work hard at to achieve or I can, you know, call someone for help or I have resources available uh, that I can somehow make it work. Where this is something that no matter what I do, like I can't make it happen. Like I don't have control over that. And that's been really difficult for me to sit with. And I feel like at every turn, it's like I'm being asked the question, do I trust Jesus more than blank? Mm. So in my journey, it's been, do I trust Jesus more than I want to be pregnant? Do I trust Jesus more than I want to be a parent, than I want to have a child? And I want to say yes. I think um, that's what I want to say, but it's hard to catch up to that sometimes. Mm. You, know, you speak of God and your relationship with God, it would be impossible for you to go on this journey as Christians without having your view of God and your relationship with God not altered. How, how has your relationship with God changed, sharpened? What's been something that perhaps defines you and helps give voice to that? Um, I think like, uh, well, a couple of stories, I mean, I won't go into detail, but the book of Job, just go there, you'll read it, you'll get it, um, but it's just kind of like life isn't fair all the time, um, but God is with you kind of thing. And then uh, for me, I think the, the um, story that keeps kind of resonating over and over and has always kind of come at like big decision moments in my life of, you know, uh, throughout, my, throughout my life was the story of Abraham and Isaac and um, God calling Abraham to go and sacrifice Isaac. And, and, and Abraham was kind of like, wait a minute, this was the hope that you promised and now you're telling me to go and destroy this hope, you know. And, um, you know, we know the end of the story. We know that it ends up being uh, all good, but um, we don't really know the, the struggle and the, the pain and the sadness that Abraham must have been going through. And uh, one of my favorite authors, uh, A.W. Tozer, wrote this book, Pursuit of God, and he talks about that. And I actually got a quote from it real quick. Um, but he says that, um, he talks about the story in, in great detail, but then he says that Abraham would offer his son as God had directed him to do, um, and then trust God to raise him from the dead. And I just, I, I love that, that Abraham kind of came to that place where he's like, okay, I'm just going to, I don't get it. I don't know why, but I'm just going to, I'm just going to do it because God told me to do it. And then he would just trust that God would raise his son from the dead, or I don't know if that was actually literally Isaac or God would give him another son or what the deal was, but he, he was trusting that God um, knew what he was doing. And so for me, I like, you know, in my head with this third opportunity, I'm like really excited. I'm anticipating it, but in my heart, I'm not quite there yet. And I've just had to kind of put it on the altar and just say, you know, God, like my heart is broken and I need you to put it back together again. I mean, you created it 
and you know how it broke and you know how to put it together again. And so I'm just going to try to trust you in that. Um, and it's a process. It's some days it's easy. Some days I'm, you know, it's just like, you know, shake the fist. So, but mm. it, it's a, it's a journey. It's, it's our story and we got to, you know, live with that. So. Yeah. I think for me, um, a couple of things come to mind. One is that my prayer life is really different. I feel like when I'm praying, I don't really know what to pray for anymore. It's like, I, I want this, but is that how to pray for it? Is prayer an outcome-based activity? So if I pray for something and it doesn't happen, then what? Um, and I think I'm learning that prayer is more of a dialogue to know the heart of God. It's really interesting because a lot of you, a lot of our community had really rallied around us to pray, especially in our second um, adoption opportunity. And people said things like, I prayed so hard. Like, or I prayed the most ever, you know? And you're like, okay, it's just interesting. Like, what does that mean? And then why did the outcome, you know, sit differently than what we were praying for? And so wrestling through that, I think, is part of what we're still, and I'm still learning through. And I think now at this point, I'm also sort of praying this prayer and, and hope, hoping that the Holy Spirit can work in me to create in me a clean heart. And I'm realizing that verse in a different way because I have, I have residue, I have hurts from these last situations that I don't want to bring into a relationship with a child. If, if this is our opportunity to parent, I don't want to start this relationship with all this yuckiness that I'm feeling. And so I have to rely on the Holy Spirit to like create in me a clean heart, like get into the corners and scrub it out because I can't do that on my own. Like I can't emotionally turn it around without the help of, of the Holy Spirit to create a clean slate so that I can fully and unconditionally love a child that we might have the parent, uh, the opportunity to parent. You know, typically at the end of a story like this, which is still in process, you know, there's no child that's going to run out and, you know, big reveal. There's not? No. No. I'm willing to steal one if I need to. <laughs> you know, it takes a lot of courage for you as a couple to invite us in the midst of a story that doesn't have that perceived fairy tale ending. And yet you're finding it sounds like, and I hear this, that you're encountering a God even in the midst of it uh, that is that one, that peace that is with you. And so typically, you know, we would turn to you and we would pray for you in this moment. But I'm not going to do that. I'm actually going to ask you, Minnie, to pray for us because this is your story. And there are hundreds of stories that need to find the one that is breaking into the reality of your life. And before I have you pray for all of us and even for those online, those watching, can we thank our own Mindy for their courage in sharing with us this morning? Thank you. Let's pray. God, thank you for the opportunity to be part of a community that um, can share, um, can be vulnerable, and can walk with each other through um, some of life's sometimes most devastating situations. God, we pray for us as a community. We pray for, um, you know, our longing, but the longing that 
resides in each heart in this room. God, we lay those before you. Um, we want to trust you more than we want those things, and we need help because it is hard to do that, um, especially for things that are good, things that may have been promised or that you've put a desire in our hearts for. God, we even lay those things down, and we ask um, that you take care of them. It's very precious to us, and putting them before you is um, brave. And so, God, we, we courageously do that, and we ask for you to fulfill um, the hope that we have in the ways in which you see fit, and we abandon our input <laughs> in how that should happen. Um, we thank you, we praise you, and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.